Tire Power, Big Footy Final Sale now on. Get into your locally independently owned Tire Power today. Mon Team Hyundai at Port Adelaide. All your family needs in a vehicle built for tomorrow that's here today. Breakfast with Mark Bickley and Jared Walsh. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go! Seven minutes to eight on SEN SA Breakfast. Matt Allen, Glenelg Premiership player, we'll speak to after eight o'clock this morning. We're in Studio Lumo, powered by Lumo Energy SA. Mark Bickley, I did a sporting on this day. Uh, Michael Jordan making his debut for the Washington Wizards. You've got a real smug look on your face <laughs> at the moment. Maybe it's because you read Brett's text that said, because I'm not being a sucker, but you were actually very good on Channel 9's footy show. So there's that. What on this day do you have today? <laughs> well, I just, <clears throat> I was thinking it's probably at some stage been a grand final day, the 26th of September. And it just happened to be in 1998, the mighty Adelaide Crows were, were good enough to defeat the North Melbourne Football Club on this day and, and you didn't think that that was worthy of bringing up? Because I thought you would because you bounced into the studio this morning oh. saying it's the 26th of <laughs> September, number 26, and then it's the uh, on this day of the 98 flag. Sam Edmund, as we say good morning to you, this is what I deal with every day. Mark Bickley comes in and reminds us how good he is. Well, he's very good. I'm just actually looking it up here. Now, big 17th all-time Adelaide Brownlow medal career total votes. He polled 32 votes, the great man. Uh, yeah, not Walsh. many. So... Six best on, though, in the in the career as well, I might add. No, and, we uh, were saying, Sam, that he looked a lot like Simon Goodwin, so that's why he got some <laughs> of the votes given to him as well. Yeah, I'm just scrolling up to see Goody. Yeah, he sits ninth, actually. Scott Thompson <laughs> with the man, of course. Yes. 52. Mm, yeah, anyway, what did we take out of last night? It was, a, you know, I guess it was a great count in terms of drama and suspense. Lockie knew, I guess, surprised a couple... That he, the fact that he got over perhaps three or four others that were a little bit more highly fancied. No, definitely did. Uh, a two-time winner now, Lockie Neal. In fact, only the 16th multiple winner in the history of the award. And if the doors had slid a little differently, obviously last year mm. with the Tribunal and Paddy Cripps, he'd be a three-time winner, given he was pipped by a vote 12 months ago. So he went past Nick Dacos in the final round, of course. And it was, as always, though, made possible by a couple of very peculiar polling games. Now, the... The poster um, example for this is a round six GWS Brisbane game. Josh Kelly, 41 touches. Cornelio, 38. Uh, Charlie had the Harley out for seven goals that day. Brent Daniels kicked four. Now, Lockie, 20 touches, seven kicks, a handful of possessions deemed ineffective. No coaches' votes for the record, but he got the three Brownlow ones. Now, this does happen every year, doesn't it? Lockie mm. Neal is an amazing player. Nothing wrong with him winning the award. But, gee, there was last night a huge list of players who got no coaches' votes who polled Brownlow votes. And vice versa as well. So Errol Gordon, 42 touches and two goals against Melbourne in the final round. And he only got the one Brownlow vote. He got the maximum 10 from the two coaches. Yeah. Well, well, Sam, just to add to that, he had three games for the year with 40 touches, 40-plus touches, and two goals and polled one combined vote in those three games. So a little bit stiff for Errol. Just on the, the voting, how is the voting done between the umpires? Well, this is where it gets interesting because, as I say, there's always little anomalies that we highlight every year. That's part, I suppose, part and parcel of the Brownlow. But I reckon this year there was more than we've seen for some time. The theory I have is that we know that this year no mobile phones were used by the umpire. So after everything that's gone on with questions around the integrity of this award, this was perhaps the first time in the iPhone era, maybe, where the umps didn't quickly and sneakily, mind you, given they're not allowed to, whip out the mobile after the game for a quick look at the stats, which... They would often do so long as they felt they could all trust each other. Now, it's a bit of a myth that the umpires get given the stats, guys. They don't get given mm. any stats at all. They're, they're, they're going purely on recollection in the moment. So 
This has been also the first year that the emergency field umpire hasn't been there. And they would often come in and help consult the umpires in charge, given, you know, they've been on the bench looking at the scoreboards, the big screen, seeing the odd stat flash up from time to time, which had helped for context in the past. Now, that wasn't there to fall back on this year. Tim Costello, the anti-gambling crusader, made claims earlier this year that the umpires were and had used phones in the past. Now, I've been able to confirm that it absolutely did happen, despite the AFL making it very clear that electronic devices were not permitted. But you know what it's like when you watch a game and, and how often you, you would have done votes in the past weeks. Geez, if you were going to go without any stats at all, geez, it would be pretty challenging, I reckon, mm. consistently. Uh, look, I, I feel the pressure all the time and also having been a, um, a judge in the showdown medal, having to, you know, when there's a bit of gravity on the end of it as well, you, you try and make sure you do a, the best job you possibly can and you do. You use all the tools that are available to you, including the stats. So, yeah, it's, um, it is an interesting one, isn't it? And I wonder whether that maybe helps them be more informed. Who knows? I'm just not sure where we go with that. Yeah, well, I reckon when you're umming and ahhing over two players in particular, you often do go to the numbers, don't you, mm. just to try to separate them. But uh, anyway, it's all part of it, isn't it? It's not going to change. The umpires do the Brownlow, and that's how it, uh, how it worked out. What I, what I would say is it does hurt the event, doesn't it, when the winner's not in the room? And it, and it hasn't happened often. I think uh, it happened. Lockie Neal won it out of the room a couple of years ago due to COVID. Adam Goods way back in 06 when the Swans were in that year's grand final. So I, I don't know. I think another piece of ammunition perhaps for those pushing out the Brownlow in that pre-finals bye week when, you know, yes, the AFLW season starts, but there's little else going on, is there? So the Brownlow buzz, maybe even that Sunday night or, or in its usual Monday slot, but in that pre-finals bye, I reckon would fill that void nicely. And, and hey, everyone could attend, every player. Sam, we had a, a bit of a chat this morning about the North Melbourne package, which should be heading their way. We've played the audio from Chris Scott and Ross Lyon. Um, it seems to be causing a, a few stirs over in Victoria. No, it landed like a bomb, uh, not just here, but across the competition yesterday. So as you touched on a couple of them there, Ross Lyon was another one. A, a lot of rival coaches furious. And in fact, their CEOs and their presidents asking for answers from the commission and the AFL they didn't necessarily receive. Yet the Kangas asked for it and they wanted more uh, for finishing bottom two in each of the past four seasons. So ultimately, you would have detailed at the end of first round pick this year, two end of first round picks next year, subject to review, mind you. And those two extra rookie spots that uh, that other clubs say we certainly shouldn't gloss over. So they're only going to let Ben Mackay go for top-tier compensation to Essendon as well. So that will give North picks 2, 3, 16 and 19 this year. At this stage, as I say, they'll have the three first-round picks next year. They used one, uh, two first-round picks last year as well. So nine in a three-year period. And what they do next will be fascinating. Do they take them all to the draft? Gold Coast pick four that's being hunted by the Dogs and mm. Adelaide. Uh, they'll be in for that. I know they've already registered their interest in Gold Coast there. And then you've got West Coast pick one that, that Melbourne could also come for. Then do they trade up for Riley Sanders? So all sorts of tools available to, uh, to North Melbourne who have just got an absolute armory of first-round picks to use over the, the next couple of years. But it certainly upset a lot of the coaches. Andrew Dillon stopped by on Sports Day last night as well. And, and, and you wouldn't expect him to say anything less, but said that the AFL felt that they had absolutely struck the balance between helping out a, a battling club in North Melbourne, but also um, keeping it fair for the rest of the competition. But I dare say a few clubs could disagree with that this morning. Yeah, I'm not sure how you could say keeping it fair for the rest of the competition. Anyway, Sam, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, guys. Always good speaking to our chief footy reporter, Sam Edmund. It's a big day on SENSA, the run home with Kimbo on the Roach from three, and then Sports Day SA with Blighty and Wilts. Next, we're going to turn our attention to the Sandful, not too far away, Glenelg star Matt Allen, who wins a premiership with the Bays. It was a brilliant Sunday for them at Adelaide Over. Good morning.